Welcome to the Master Your Mix podcast, helping engineers, producers, and artists create professional recordings and mixes, even from home. I'm your host, Mike and Davina. Let's get started. Hey, welcome to the Master Mix Podcast. My name is Mike Davina, and thank you so much for joining me here today. My guest today is Josh Newell, who is a Los Angeles-based engineer who has mixed and produced for a wide range of artists, including Linkin Park, Intronaut, Nas, Avril Lavigne, Celine Dion, P.O.D., and a whole bunch more. And Josh is really well known for his Pro Tools skills and being able to navigate through the software really quickly. And this is really important because you wanna make sure that you're providing the best experience for your artists and that they're not having to wait for you to get the system up and running. Instead, by working fast, it makes your customers happy, makes your artists happy, and as a result, you'll get better quality recordings. So in this episode, we go into a lot of detail about mastering your DAW, working smart, working fast, and we also get into the topic of editing and what kind of things you should be doing with your tracks in order to make sure that you get the cleanest sound possible and that you make the editing process really smooth. So inside of this episode, Josh drops a lot of great pieces of advice here. So let's just jump right into the episode. This is my interview with Josh Newell. Josh Newell, thank you so much for being on the Master Mix podcast. How you doing, man? I'm good, man. Thank you for having me on. No problem. For people who might not be familiar with who you are and your story and how you got into this, can you give us a little bit of that background? Uh, yeah. How in-depth do you want? Um, I'm a LA-based <laughs> engineer as producer. As in-depth as you want to go. <laughs> Okay, I'm an LA-based engineer producer, originally from Tennessee, uh, never actually worked in Nashville because when I graduated school back in Tennessee, that meant Nashville meant doing country. And I was like, I'm going to move to LA with my metal band that I would like the thing you always want to do when you're 14. So I yep. uh, started working in like an internship and got into a studio and just kind of worked my way up to the freelance life. That's awesome. And, uh, and so these days, like when I looked at your website, one of the things that caught my attention was that it seems like you have a lot of credits as a Pro Tools engineer. And I'm, I'm curious to dive deeper into that today, just because I feel like it seems like something that is pretty specialized. And, and I'm curious how you got into that role. Sure. Um, my website really needs updating now that we're talking about it. <laughs> um, the way I kind of got into that. So I, I bounced around a couple of studios and an internship when I first moved to LA and then ended up at this place called uh, NRG Studios. Um, so I got to LA in 2001 and uh, Mix Magazine used to just put out a directory of, of studios. So I just went through all these studios, went on all their websites, like, all right, this is A tier, B tier, C tier. And I just made up a bunch of resumes and I drove to every studio possible and just handed them off. Um, so NRG offered me a job. It was part-time. And this other place offered me a job that was full-time and I really kind of needed the full-time job. So I went with that. Um, it's like this hip hop pop place. Um, Dave Pensado mixed there a lot. It's not. It's not around anymore. The place is called the Enterprise, and uh, it just didn't feel like a fit for me. And I kind of lucked out that the the receptionist at the Enterprise was best friends with the receptionist at NRG. So uh, one day, like, oh, whoever they hired at NRG didn't work out, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna slip my resume back over. So they hired me. And um, the thing with NRG at the time, they were really early adopters of Pro Tools. Um, they actually had a uh, a LAN network with studio drives in the studio, everything backed up. Like it was really kind of ahead of the curve. Um, and so you get in there and you kind of like the things, the things you would learn, like you would, the upside of the studio is you could do all this downtime stuff. So we, uh, everyone that worked there would do that. Like, uh, you know, I had a band, I'd record all my friends' bands. And then one of the, the early ways in was to be a Pro Tools editor. So we start, we all started like, you know, bugging engineers that come up through the studio. Like, how do you edit drums? How do you tune vocals? And you kind of learn how to do that. So, um, so yeah, I just got doing that, and then I happened to be working with Linkin Park 
uh, a number of years in and they, I was the assistant and they were like, Hey, can you, can you edit drums? I was like, yeah, I can edit drums. And they sent me off to like an edit rig and I chopped all these drums. And they're like, Oh, okay, cool. And kept working. And then they're like, Hey, can you tune vocals? It's like, yeah, I can tune vocals. And so I did that and it turned into like, all right, well, you're our assistant, but you're gonna be the Pro Tools editor on the record now. So, um, that kind of snowballed and I just worked with them a whole lot. So that's why I have a whole lot of credits with them. I mean, there was a staff on that one. We kind of engineer Pro Tools editor, but once you start doing that stuff, you start kind of getting known for it as well. Um, or if you know a bunch of engineers, they're like, hey, I'm working on this project and we're doing drums really fast. Can I send stuff to you to edit? Um, it's something that's really easy to do remote. So it's a good thing to get into. Gotcha. So is that more like, what exactly does that role entail then as being the Pro Tools, ed- uh, the Pro Tools uh, uh, engineer? Is that like, it's it's just running the sessions, editing the, editing the sessions on the fly kind of thing? Or like, what, what does that role really entail? Yeah, that's a lot of it. And it kind of depends on the project. Like a lot of those projects where it's this Pro Tools editor also says engineer because you're kind of doing both. Um, if you get a big client, like when I was doing Avril Lavigne, there were two engineers and we would just take turns. Like, oh, I'll record today and you you do the editing. And it's a lot of, you know, you're layering a ton of takes. And um, a lot of times there's just temporary auto-tune going on vocal stacks. And at some point you need to go in and commit that because it's got to go to Chris Lord Algae and he doesn't want you sending over like 24 tracks with auto-tune running auto. Um, so it's a lot of that. It's tuning, it's comping cleaning up clicks and pops, you know, just like looking for all that errant kind of BS that can get in a session as you're working fast. Um, that, and that's a lot of it. Sometimes if, if you're on a project like with Lincoln Park where there's six guys in the band and everybody's working on a song at once, then you're the dude that puts it back together. Um, so that's a lot of it. It's, it's really kind of like an organizational thing as well as being musical with editing. For sure. That, that, that That's interesting. And I feel like now that I know that you did both the assistant engineering, you were just like it's just sitting on Pro Tools the whole time. You know, it, it makes sense to me that you would do both because I feel like that's what everyone does these days. You know, everyone's kind of taking on multiple roles. Um, and and I and and I was curious to know if like yeah, there were other engineers and you were just doing the Pro Tools thing. And 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 when you are in a situation like that, like are you operating off of your own sessions that you're creating, or are you working off of someone else's templates? Like how how does that role typically look like? Um. It kind of depends. It kind of depends on the project. A lot of a lot of days, if you're the engineer, you kind of have like a Pro Tools list to do at the end of the day. Um, or the the thing I try to do with projects is, um, and I'm just going to talk about everything in, in the concept of Pro Tools because that's just what we, we work in. For sure. Um, just do a safe session as, and then, you know, we track the guitars. So song idea 1.2, guitars, and then song idea 1.3, guitars edited or something like that. Like, so you're always operating within the session, but it's a kind of a non-destructive way of working on it. You know, you got session file backups and all that, but that was, that was definitely the approach, especially, uh, you know, projects where there's, you know, multiple rooms, multiple engineers, a lot of those big pop projects, you do end up with three or four engineers and maybe five or six rooms going at once. Yeah, that's awesome. That's that's crazy because I, I feel like you, you, there's a lot of coordinating and I think there's probably got to be a lot of like systemizing the process as well. So everyone is kind of operating the same way, right? Yeah, there's usually a guy at some point, like I was on a Puff Daddy record and we had, I think, six rooms at once and three or four engineers. And there, there's the, like the one guy is in charge of all the backups and, and getting everything together. And I've been that guy on other projects. And that's that's a little more data entry than engineering. But, um, but yeah, it, it really requires you kind of being on top of things. Yeah, for sure. Would you say that someone who's interested in like diving deeper with like the Pro Tools side of it, is that is it important to be like Pro Tools certified? Does that matter at all these days? Uh, well, for what it's worth, I'm not Pro Tools certified. Um, when I went to recording school from, I went to, uh, yeah, I graduated in 2001. Pro Tools was still pretty new. Um, and I just worked at a place where 
like I said, it was a really early adopter pro tool. So I never, I never got the certification. Um, and I know a lot of people that are really surprised by that, but I also, yeah, I don't, I don't know a lot of professionals that got certified, but then again, I know a lot of people have just been doing it for a while and certification wasn't a thing. So. Yeah. 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 I often wonder about that too. Cause I, I, I have seen like the, the pro tools engineering credits and, and all that. And I'm like, does it really matter? Like, or is it just kind of running the session and, and, you know, I feel like a lot of people will probably learn the basics of Pro Tools enough to get going, and that's probably all they need, but... Yeah, it's honestly, like, there's a whole lot of stuff in Pro Tools I don't know. I, you know, I have friends that do post, and they, they know a whole bunch of features that I don't, and then they have no idea how Beat Detective works. So, uh, for me, it's like, the reason I get hired is I'm, I'm good at it, and then I know a lot of people that are super fast, and I've... I can be quick. Um, I never have bragged about being super fast because I'm really thorough, and I felt that's one of the things that really helped me with my, my gig. But um, yeah, it's handing no quick keys and stuff. But I've had assistants who are like, oh, I'm Pro Tools certified. And you kind of ask them to do it. And it, just knowing it doesn't mean you can do it quickly. Like there's kind of theoretical, like I have a lot of music theory knowledge still from college, but I'm like sitting down and actually like, oh yeah, these are the notes in a, like a C mixolydian. Like it's not under my fingers anymore because I don't play that much. It's like, so that's kind of feel like about Pro Tools certification. Like it's great if you can get it, you learn a lot, but you still have to have it under your fingers for it to be practical. For sure. Yeah, you're what you just said something that was really interesting. You were talking about the idea of being thorough versus like being really fast at it. And I there there's got to be that like kind of middle ground where you're you're fast enough to work for the session and to help the engineers or to help the producers and the band get stuff done in time, but you have to you obviously have to be doing the job properly and and be thorough about it, right? So, um as far as like speed goes, what kind of um, tips do you have for someone who's trying to learn to get faster at their DAW and, and navigate through their, their software? I mean, learn, learn your quick keys. Um, and then you just kind of learn, like I have a drum editing technique that, you know, the crossfade I use and then the buffer, or I'm sorry, the, the pre-cut buffer. Um, if I do that 90% of the time, it sounds fine. And then I can listen through. Um, it's really just important to listen. And it's, a lot of it's just accumulating tricks after doing it for years. Like I know where to, where to stick, what kind of fade on say like a long cymbal hit. Um, or, um, yeah, I mean that, that's a lot of it. Like if you can operate at a quick enough speed that you're not bogging anybody down and you're doing a great job, then they're happy usually. Um, and sometimes it is about just speed and I have to, you know, I can't be quite as thorough and, and that's, that's just life. Um, it's a lot of like learning how to read the room. If you're getting hired because they really want you to be a good editor and it's transparent, great. If they just want you to get through it fast, get through it fast. Yeah, yeah. What about um, like things like uh, key commands or macros? Like, are you utilizing any of those in your process? I'm not I actually want to get into that a little bit. Um, I just, I, I don't know. I've been really lucky to be on these like giant big budget records where <laughs> you kind of have time to do things or there's two of you, like one of you engineers and the other one just edits all day. And as long as it's done, it's done. Um, that, I mean, that's, that's just like how to word this. I'm not a control freak, but I'm, I'm really, really thorough. Like I have trouble, I have trouble outsourcing work sometimes because I have trouble, I have trouble finding people that, that do it as thorough as I do. Um, so for me, for the most part, getting through quick keys or just even just kind of importing session data or having some presets saved usually gets me through a lot of what I'm doing. Yeah. That's interesting. It's interesting that you said that you have a hard time outsourcing because I feel like a lot of people struggle with that, right? It's like once you've learned your workflow and your systems, it's like, you're the best at it. So like, it's hard to give that power up to someone else, right? I'm assuming you have done it at some point. You've probably given the role over to some people to help you with editing or that kind of thing, right? 
Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I have people I like. I mean, even for a while, I was doing some kind of supplementing slow periods of work of just doing kick samples and cleaning up drums for other mixers. Um, so that was one of those things like, oh, I know how to do this really well. Like, if I'm sending this to somebody else, they better do it well too. Um, but yeah, there there've been times I've handed off projects that uh, I need help with, or I have to pass it up, and then passing it along to somebody. Which is always a weird thing because you kind of want to pass it along to somebody who's going to be good, but not quite as good as you because you want them to call you again. I've, I have a few friends I've handed gigs to and I've just never gotten them back, which was fine. Like they're good friends and they're good engineers. But um, yeah, I guess maybe that's part of my paranoia about handing off things too. <laughs> yeah, I was curious about that. I was curious if you were like documenting your process and then telling someone, okay, here's exactly how I do it. Just do this. But then to, to your point there, that might be just as risky, right? <laughs> I mean, I have, I have done that. Um, there was, I'm trying to remember what came, there was something with Linkin Park and some live stuff and I'm trying to remember why I couldn't do it. I don't, I think it was out of town. It was something like that. And I, I hit up somebody else and was like, do it exactly this way. Cause it has to be exactly this way to fit with everything else. Um, and then that's one of those cases where I, I literally gave everything away, but, uh, normally I don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> that was one of those ones like, I know I have this gig no matter what you do. So <laughs> <laughs> It's funny though, like there, there's obviously, yeah, there is kind of that, um, that competition factor out there. Right. And it's like knowing who you can trust and, and all that. Cause, cause sometimes, yeah, you, you do need to just genuinely pass off a gig, a gig to get some help. And, and you, you want to know that the people you're bringing into your team and that are like going to collaborate with you are going to be on your side and actually like participate for the good of the project and not to just steal clients and all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of referring gigs is half skill and then half people skills too. Like, you know, I have I have friends that are great engineers that are like, ah, you wouldn't really fit with that one. Um, so that's I mean that's part of the gig. I mean that's part of the gig anyway. If you're locked in a studio with somebody for a month, you you better have people skills uh, if you want to. Yeah, yeah. If you want to if you want to. But that's that's yeah. It's the other consideration. There's technical skills and then people skills. Yeah. Well, you had mentioned that like the Lincoln Park projects, like those would go on quite long. So like as far as people skills and, and how you got that gig, like what do you think it was about you that got you working with them on such a regular basis? Uh, those guys got really famous really fast, really early on, um, which I think, I know a few people have been in that situation as artists and it makes, um, it makes you kind of question people, I think, um, like what people want from you when you're famous. So the way I got in with Lincoln is they always worked at NRG. So I met them, I think six months into working there when I was just a food runner. Like, you know, what do you want for Paquito Moss? And I'll go get your burritos. Um, and then you would just see him every couple of years. And every couple of years when we worked together, I, you know, was higher up the food chain there. So uh, one of the guys in the band actually told me, he's like, you know, we, I kind of gave you a shot at this because you never really messed up before. Like, we've known you a long time and you're always good about food orders. You're always good assistant. So we figured, you know, if you said you could edit drums, you must be able to edit drums. And if you don't, we'll hire somebody. Um, so there was that. And... Um, for me, part of working with Lincoln, like I just became one of their guys because they were, they were comfortable with me. They'd known me a long time. They knew I was respectful. Like there's that, like you just, I don't know, you just click into the room, but then they also, like they need to feel comfortable around you, but they also need to trust you because they have like massive security teams. Cause some of those guys had, some of those guys had crazy stalkers and stuff like that. Like they just, I don't, I don't know. It's like, you need to be good at what you're doing, but you also need to be reliable. And yeah, it's a lot of learn to read the room, like learn when to shut up and be out of the way. And then other times like learn when you need to kind of lighten the mood. I, I don't, I think that's one of the harder parts is like, you can't really teach people people skills. It's true. You can give them kind of rough guidelines for how to handle, or how to, how to like genuine etiquette, like 
you know, sit, like sit in the room, be quiet, that kind of thing. You know, don't don't step on people's toes, that kind of thing. Like you could say things like that, but it's really like that person's going to ultimately decide whether or not they're going to follow those instructions and actually, you know, be a good person or not, right? Yeah, and it's also I don't want to say it's a dying art, but it's a skill that's I think it's a skill that's going out because you know I. I'm in the tail end of that, like, go work at a big studio and then work your way up the food chain. Like, that's not how most people make it anymore. Um, and, yeah, I think with the... This is not me pining for the old days. I think with, you know, when you're recording on tape and stuff like that, the assistant really had to be on top of everything. And when you're losing a lot of outboard gear, we used to have to document, you know, all the settings and stuff. And as everything's moved digital, the assistant is less involved and it's kind of made for... a. Um, a detachment. Like I've had some assistants that were just really bad assistants, um, really bad. And, uh, it just doesn't, it just doesn't bode well. Like don't be a bad assistant. Cause then people are never going to, never going to think to hire you really. So then what, what does make a good assistant then? We had this assistant, we started this Lincoln Park record, uh, years ago. I don't remember which one this was. And when we first started the, like the assistant just didn't know a lot of stuff, but the thing was he didn't have to have a lot of technical, like technical expertise because we already had two engineers. But he picked it up as he went. I think I think that's a lot of it. Like someone that's willing to learn, even if they're not great. But being being attentive, like just just little things, like staying. I don't know. This is all advice that's probably not good for people at home studios. But um, you can think about this when working at bands at home too. Like stay on top of what time it is, and the people are going to get hungry because when people get working on music, they don't remember that they need to eat, and they want to order food. Then they get pissed off that it takes too long. Um, so it's it's little stuff like that, or hey, they're talking about doing a guitar take. Well, this assistant would get up and go turn on the tube amps and he'd get some picks together and he'd make sure the tuner was on and hooked up. So they were like, okay, I think we want to record guitar. He's like, yeah, you're all set. Like, you just got to plug in and tune. Um, stuff like that. Being Just reading reading where the situation is going and being set up for that in advance. You know, if they're talking about, oh, maybe we should try some vocals on a, uh, you know, it'd be cool if we did vocals on SM58 and you could sing. Like, go get the 58, hook it up, have it ready to go, things like that so that people aren't waiting around Basically, um, do everything you can to not impede the creative process. Yeah, I like that. That's a, that's a great way of putting it. Yeah, it's just being really proactive and, and actually having everyone's interests at heart and, and just making the process as easy as you can. And I love the example you said there, but like, you know, thinking about getting guitar takes ready, like, okay, warm up the amp and that kind of stuff. Like that still does apply in a home studio because you could, you could be recording a bass player and then be like, okay, we got a guitar coming up. Like, let's just get this part ready to go. Like, you know, and, and some people do like, there are, there are sometimes assistants in a home studio environment as well. Like maybe it's just, maybe it is the band. Right. But, um, it's a little different, I guess, when you're doing a home studio thing versus working at a big studio like NRG. Right. Uh, yeah, I think there's a little, there's a little more forgiveness on a home studio on a lot of things. Um, like when I did Avril Lavigne, um, I was stepping into a session that had been going for six months and I contacted the assistant and I was like, Hey, do you know what their setup is? And he's like, yeah, I know everything they do. Like I'll have it all ready for you when you roll in, which was great for me because he set up the way they were comfortable, the way they were used to working. And then I just had to drop into that. Whereas I had another studio experience where I was working with, uh, I got a last minute call about doing, I think it was Demi Lovato. No, it wasn't Demi Lovato. I'm blanking on the artist's name. Jesse J. It was Jesse J. Like, hey, can you do Jesse J? Yeah, great. Hit up the assistant. Hey, oh, cool. You've been working with her this whole record? Like, cool. Set me up with her usual thing. Show up. And she's she's kind of like singing. I was like, is this her usual setup? And he's like, yeah. She starts singing. She's like, this all sounds weird. And I turned to the assistant and I was like, hey, I'm just checking with you. This is this is what she's used to. And he's like, oh, well, there's usually da-da-da-da-da. And I was like, cool. Like, what are those settings? And he's like, I have no idea. I was like, you are like, you are not making, and 
we were just doing some like quick recording before she came in to like listen to some mixes and it ended up killing her vibe. She's like, yeah, I don't, I don't know that I feel this now. And it was, um, that was, that's an example of being a bad assistant, I guess. Um, but from, a, from a home studio angle, like, yeah, if you know, if you're working with somebody, you're interning with somebody, you know, they're going to be recording guitars that day, like have, have some extra, like, I don't know, have nine volt batteries, have extra instrument cables for plugging up pedals. Um, or an extension cord, if that's what you need. Have guitar picks around. Um, things like that, you know. If, if a bunch of people in the band are coming over, have water or whatever. Like, just, yeah, make people comfortable and make it where they can be creative without having to think about all the other, like, the external stuff. For sure. Yeah, I love that. That's a really great point. Like, creating that atmosphere where it's just, like, creativity is king and we're not worrying about all those other things that, you know, distract you from the day or and, and take you out of that creative headspace. It's really important. Um, you, you mentioned kind of how you were at the tail end of that whole like big studio world of like if you wanted to break into the industry, you had to get that internship and work your way up. And now it seems like these days are, there's a lot of people who are just starting in their home studio. Maybe they're building up their own clientele, and but they still want to break into the industry. What advice do you have for people who are in that position and, and wanting to get in? That is a good question because I didn't do it that way. Um, Fair. Uh, I, think, I think there are things that apply now that did even when I was working in a studio. And the thing for me that was good working in the studio was I just, I worked with every every band I could. Like I played in bands, so I met a lot of people in bands. And then, um, yeah, they'd be like, oh, your demo's good, who did it? Well, I did it. Like, come 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 record with me. Like, I won't charge you, but buy me dinner or something like that. Uh, I, at least at the time, had like a multi-million dollar studio. I don't think you, you can be like, come work with me and buy me dinner at a home studio. But just offering to work with people because that's the only way you're going to get better you can you have to train your ears and the only way to really train your ears is just like is to just keep doing it and the only way you learn to solve these problems is to just have those problems and kind of power your way through so if you're in a band offer to record all your friends bands if you're not in a band just go to shows when it's if it's safe to go to shows where you live um and you know offer to record with those guys or yeah or even just hit people up and be like, oh, you guys are recording yourselves. Like, let me take a stab at mixing it. Because uh, it's interesting coming from the background I did, mixing was different than my mix work is now. When you work at these big studios and everything's done with nice microphones and a properly treated acoustic environment, like mixing is a lot more subtle thing than it is now at home studios. Like I've been mixing some some guys that recorded themselves and it's um, it's challenging now. Mixing, mixing at home with home productions is like you're almost kind of creating the production for them. So there's a lot of that, like find some people that recorded themselves and did their own demo and it sounds really rough and then see if you can't make it sound more like whatever big band they're hoping to emulate. That's interesting. Like, So what would you say are the biggest differences in that home studio world versus the big studio and, and the the results or the, the tracks that you would get to mix? Um, I mean, one of the first ones is obviously drum sounds. If you're, you know recording in your rehearsal space or garage, it's not going to sound the same as if you're at Henson or something like that. Um, so I really think that's kind of why heavy music has moved to the sound that it has. A lot of it's been necessity for, um, for correcting from what happens with home recordings. Um, guitars are another thing. Some people are really good at recording with amp sims. Some people are really, really bad at it. So if, if you're doing that ever send a DI what you're doing, please. Um, because an overgained bad amp sim, like there's just, you can make it sound better, but you can't make it sound good when you're mixing. So that's, I, I think those are the two biggest ones. Um, but I guess the other thing in professional studio environments, a lot of times people just, people come in more prepared or they're more meticulous about things. Um, 
or way back in the day when you'd have techs that were just changing all the drum heads every day and all the strings every day. And you have to think about, you know, getting dead bass strings in a bad DI. So there's, I think it's really like quality of the source tracks, but the, the biggest one to me is drums just because of the, the acoustics involved in the sheer space that you need. And then the other one to me is guitars a lot because, um, yeah, I don't know. Amp sims, there's some really great amp sims. Like Neural DSB makes some great amp sims. And they're finally catching up, I think, with real amps. But that that's the other one to me that kind of really stands out. Yeah. Do you think that you can still get great recordings from home, though? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've always been able to do it. If you go way back, you know, Failure's Fantastic Planet Record from, what, 95? And you find out, like, oh, they did that on a Mackie at a house. Um, you know, it's doable. Obviously, like... You remember a few years ago, and like, oh, the Foo Fighters recorded at home, and then you look at it, and like, oh yeah, well they have an API and like a Studer, and um, but yeah, it's totally it's totally possible to do good home recordings, and there there are people that are really good at it, and then a lot of it's just you know really practicing and, and training your ears to be good at it, um, and then the upside of recording yourself at home is time is on your side in that regard. You're not up against the clock for studio billing. Yeah, I think I think miking obviously has a lot lot to do with it, and if you're if you're good with your miking and you you do take care of those little details like you mentioned of like changing the drum skins and and you know maintaining your instruments and and doing all of that stuff properly like then that's going to help you get much better results in the end but but th- there are obviously the limiting factors like the the ambience of the room and all that kind of stuff that that do come into play as well right yeah absolutely and that's and that's one of the things that we've kind of learned to compensate for when mixing home projects these days is compensating for you know creating a fake drum room or things like that You've uh, you've mentioned a lot of different artists that you've worked with that have ranged from a lot of different styles of music. You know, you've mentioned doing things with in the metal world, doing pop world, uh, you know, hip hop, all that kind of stuff. How important to you, how important is it to you to diversify the styles of music that you work within? Um, that to me, I don't think it was super important early on, and I really didn't think about it in college. Um, but in college, like I was working with the jazz ensembles or you'd work with, you know, this is late 90s, early 2000s. So a lot of good college alternative rock bands. Um, I was playing in a band here in LA that was basically like on our way to a record deal. And it was kind of a point like, all right, do you want to quit the studio and do this? Or do you want to keep, uh, keep doing the studio thing? And I realized I was like, I want to keep doing the studio thing because I think that's more interesting to me doing a bunch of different bands versus being in a band and just playing like the same 10 songs for a year. So it's, it's not like I sit around and go like, oh, I just did a metal record. Now I need to do a country record or something. But I, I just try to keep myself open to all styles because it's, I don't know, it's just more interesting. It's like, I enjoy the challenge. There are things I like about some genres engineering wise that, um, there, well, rather there are things I like about engineering that apply to some genres one way, other genres another. Um, and I don't, like if I took a hip hop gig, I probably wouldn't just take anybody. Um, not that I dislike hip hop, but I, I kind of like this. I, I will, I don't even make it hip hop specific. Like I like particular types within a lot of those genres and I do try to gravitate a little bit toward that. But part of it's just necessity too. And part of it's just, you know, at one point in my career, I just worked at a big studio as an engineer and whoever came in was who you got booked with. So um, it's a little bit intentional. And it's a little bit coincidental. Gotcha. Do you feel like working in different genres has allowed you to become more of an attractive option when people are looking to hire an engineer? Uh, I think a little bit. Like I get to say, I get to say no a lot less because um, people will be like, oh, you know, we're kind of doing this. Do you have any experience in this field? And it, it, it gives me more to pull from. Um, 
uh, especially, you know, I, working with Linkin Park as much as I did and as long as I did across like the albums where they were really experimenting, it's, it's good in that regard. Or um, like I worked with Linda Perry for a while as an engineer and it helps in that one. Like, oh, this artist is straight pop. This one's doing folk. This one, like we had Hole come in, like, oh, we're doing 90s alternative. And to kind of have reference points and all that helps. And uh, it's, I think it's also good for, it's also good for mixing. Like, it's just good to know a bunch of different types of music if you're going to work in music. Um, because like some of the stuff I've mixed this year, I mixed like a black metal band that wanted to sound like Amon Amarth or Arch Enemy. And then the next project was a band that was kind of this spacey post-rock thing. And then I just did a band that intentionally sounded like the Melvins. And so it's good to like, oh, I, I know your reference point. I know what that needs to sound like um, because it is very drastically different. Yeah, that's kind of how I thought it would be too. Like having those different those different genres that you've worked in, you kind of pick up different skills for different genres. And there's got to be like a band like Lincoln Park to me is a great example where they really do fuse a lot of those different genres. So to me, it seems like you would have been an obvious choice having had that experience of working with so many different genres that working with a band like them, you're, you're just kind of combining all of those different engineering techniques and production techniques. Uh, would you Would you agree with that? Uh, absolutely. And the other engineer on Lincoln is a good friend of mine, Ethan Mates. And he's, he's a very, of a very similar background. He came up in New York in the late nineties and he knew, he knew like late nineties hip hop beat making, which is really important with him. But then he also worked with bands like Dredge. He works with the Chili Peppers. He works, um, I think he worked with Fear Factory at one point. So it's really good to, to kind of go like, oh, what do you guys want to do? Like, all right, yeah, yeah, we can do that. Cause some days be like, oh, we want to try, you know, a, the, the, the Glenn Johns style drum mic set up just for this kid on a vintage Ludwig. And then the next day, like you got a full bone Gretsch and you're doing a metal thing. And um, yeah, it's just really good to know th there is kind of a, um, well, in that specific example to know what sounds good when you're doing that Glenn John set up, set up rather. And then what sounds good when you're doing like a hard rock metal setup. Cause it's, it's a different, it's a different set of tones. Like you can't just learn like, this is how you mic up a kick drum. It's more like, well, this is what you do with the kick drum if you want this sound. Um, so it's a, it, it was a lot of that. It was a lot of, it was a lot of fun, like kind of problem solving with them, really. Gotcha. Yeah, I was curious to, to learn a little bit more about what it was like to work with those guys. Like, are they how involved are they in the engineering side of it? Because to me, they seem like they're a bunch of technical guys that like they seem like early on they were into like the Pro Tools stuff and and uh, engineering. Maybe, maybe um, I'm wrong about that. No, no, no. Uh, well, it depends on the member of the band. Some guys are more savvy than others. Uh, so the way a lot of that stuff worked. And I don't think I'm violating any NDAs describing this stuff now. Um, okay. <laughs> imagine having like your home studio where you can just jump on any instrument you want, but having it on a professional level across everything. So, you know, there's three drum kits set up. There's a piano and maybe we have a piano. Maybe we have three different miking configurations on that piano. So we could just swap, you know, hey, here's two large diaphragm condensers or maybe here's like a mono 57 if you want that. Here's a B3. Here's a Rhodes. Here's a Juno. Here's... I mean, we had shelves of guitar pedals and all these chains. Like we can reamp anything the second you need it. Um, we have all these keyboards. We have MIDI routed so that we can trigger outboard keyboards. Um, you know, it was basically that. Like here's a wall of different, here's a wall of different guitar amps going to different, you know, here's a combo, here's a clean, here's like a heavy distorted. So what we would do is talk to the band, like, hey, kind of where do you see the current project going? We're going to set up for that. And we would spend a couple days and, you didn't have to specifically dial in tones, but it was like, all right, well, let's get the drums mic'd up, get a good basic starting point, make sure everything's in phase, you know, and just kind of go around and do everything that way so that 
Um, you could more rapidly dial in a tone, but I mean, there's really no way to dial in. And and then what we would do is just keep a record of like, oh, we liked this guitar tone from this song. This is going to be, we had just binders. This is one of the things we do with the assistant. We just had binders of this is this, these are the settings. This is what we were using to get that sound. If you want to go back to your like, what was the reggae song thing we were doing a month ago that we scrapped? Maybe that guitar tone. Like, okay, well, pull that back up. And, um, and that was the way that worked. So it was. That's very cool. It was. And man, it's, it's <laughs> to be in a place where you're like, oh, we have a 70 input Neve and we just have a wall of amps mic'd up and two drum kits and everything else. Like, it's really, um, that was the thing that you're like, oh, I, when it hit that echelon, it was like, oh, this is what I always get dreamed of getting to do is like, you know, have a session where there's like seven U47s or something on the session. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that, that's totally the dream. And it goes kind of back to what you said earlier about that that conversation of like being a good assistant, because what you guys essentially did there, if, I, if I'm understanding it correctly, is like you created an environment where everyone could work fast, everything was set up and ready to go, and you weren't waiting around. And that's just because you were prepared. You went into it thinking like, we might need these things, let's get them ready. And you created a, a, that creative environment for the band. Yeah. Um, it does help to have a little bit of an overall direction, but even then that would change. Um, if it changed drastically enough, we'd usually get a day, like swap things over. But um, but yeah, that was, that was a lot of... I mean, it was just... A lot of those big projects, it's being that organized because there's so many songs, there's so many people involved. Um, everyone, I think, kind of thinks like the higher up that you get career-wise, like you get with these higher artists, like it gets easier and it doesn't. It's just a different It's a different set of problems. That's interesting. So m- without maybe going into too many details, if you have like any sort of NDAs or whatever, like what sort of problems would you experience at a level like that? Okay, well, well, here's one, and I don't think this... So, Avril Lavigne. We're working on an Avril Lavigne record, right? There's a lot of people involved, and there's a lot of producers. Um, you know, we're we're sending stuff out to various mixers, but there's also... Um, with Avril, with a lot of big pop artists, this isn't just her, but I'm, I'm just using her as a specific... Um, part of her career is not just being Avril the artist, it's also she's tied to a perfume line and they launched a signature guitar and she endorses this other product and she has to go do all of that stuff as well because that's that's re- realistically how musicians on that level that's how your career works at this point um you know i have a friend who's a professional nail tech like she does the oscars and the emmys and she would work with artists that i worked with it was really funny like um and so you know that's part of them and i, I just bring it because like that's Part of them is she has to make them model ready for the VMAs or whatever performance they're doing. Like all of that stuff. There's a whole lot of not making music that goes into being a musician at that level or like a musical artist at that level. So, man, Avril's coming in and we're working on this song and she's, but she's got to be out because she's launching a perfume line and then there's a movie premiere and you have like this window of time. So, that's a challenge because like, you've got to really be on top of it. You really got to know what you want. You got to be decisive about what takes you're using. And then you got to keep really fast notes. Like this is going to be the master, right? I'm using this for a double. I'm using, because it's not that she doesn't care about what she's doing. It's not what, what she's doing isn't important. It's just like, it's one of many important things she's doing that day. And you have that window to get it done. Or, um, I was on a Celine Dion session and we had something like a 32 piece orchestra. Like that's, the money going into a session like that is insane because 32 professional musicians and everything. So um, if you're on Pro Tools, like you better, you better be on it. You better be watching to make sure, you know, that, that's one of those things you have multiple engineers just to keep on things. Like 
You better make sure mics aren't dying. You better make sure, you know, you're keeping track of takes. You better make sure where you're going to in the session is the exact cue that they need because you don't want a bunch of people sitting around while you're fishing for where they're going to be at. So, though, I mean, those are the type of problems like, oh, if you're just with some dude recording in your room and you have some weird arrangement, you can kind of like, is this where you want to go in? Is this where you want to go in? Whereas where you have a conductor and 30 plus people waiting on you, you like, you need to know where you're going in. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can imagine like having having that kind of situation where you are working with someone who's on a very tight timeline and it is going to be a big project, like you have to keep super organized and you have to work very efficient. So, you know, having those systems in place with, with the other assistants in the room or engineers or producers or whoever, like everyone's got to be on the same page to make sure that that happens flawlessly. Yeah. And, and sometimes, I mean, you get crazy ideas like, hey, we've been writing this song. I think this bridge would fit with this other song. Can you tempo shift it and, and pitch shift the entire bridge, fit it into the other song so that it's ready when we come in in the morning. Now, if you were just working with some local band, you'd probably be like, yeah, we're, no, we're not going to do that. Like sit down with a guitar and let's just see if that riff goes into that riff. When you're working with a band that's spending thousands of dollars a day and has sold millions of rec- millions of records and that's what your job is, like, all right, you figure out how to do it. Like, um, so those, I mean, th- like those are the kind of changes. It's easier to say no to like clients on a lower level, to be honest with you. <laughs> That's a really good point. But I, I feel like it also makes you realize at some point what's actually possible just within the software, you know, and, and I think that there is that, like you said, in a home studio, you might just be more inclined to say, okay, let's just re-record this. And it's like, which is actually the, which is the better method? You know, the, I, I guess that's to, to be determined, right? Yeah. Or the, I mean, some of that stuff, like it'd be one guy like, hey, what if we try this? Okay. And you're there like three in the morning doing it and you come in the next morning at nine. Because one of the other guys in the band likes to come in early versus the guy that likes to be there late. And he of hits plays. There's like, always that. And he's just like, no, I don't like that. Just throw it away. <laughs> you're like, I was here till three in the morning. <laughs> and, and you just have to, like, that's the, that's the gig. So. Yeah. Well, I guess that, you know, that just says a lot too about the uh, the passion that you put into the work you do and the determination to do your best job at all at all times and to to work your way in you kind of have to do that and and especially in those earlier days of and, and they still do exist but like when those big studio uh, in that big studio world where you're the assistant trying to work your way up it's like you do have to sometimes put in that time and you know begrudgingly do the work sometimes to just get it done and hope hopefully that's something that's usable you know. There were a number of guys that came through uh, NRG that just, they ended up the engine, like they ended up, well, do you know who Elvis Basquiat is? Uh, engineer, producer guy. Um, who, who is this, sorry? Elvis Basquiat works with like. Uh, the last name sounds familiar, yeah. Done Seven Dust, Tremonti, a lot of stuff like that. Okay. He was just, like, he was an assistant engineer at NRG. And I, let me think, I can't remember. I think he was on Incubus. I think it was Incubus's uh, Make Yourself as the record. Like, Somebody got fired. He got bumped up to engineering and, and that's where it went. And I mean, that's how things used to work. So circling way back to your, like, how do you get into it? Question working from home. Cause you don't have that opportunity working from home. Um, that's why I'm hesitant to give advice. Like I just kind of came from not a different planet, but just a different, different time. So one last thing that I wanted to ask you about was editing. And you were talked about uh, editing while you were Pro Tools engineering, and that, that was a big part of it. Are you typically editing as you're working on the recordings? Like, are you doing it between takes, or do you normally have a process where you record all your takes and then you edit later? What's like, what does that workflow normally look like for you? Um, well, in the in the interest of being flexible, I kind of go with whatever works for the session. Um, ideally, for me, I do like to comp as I'm working, and then I'll worry about smoothing it out later. Um, but it does. 
it does depend on who you're working with. Um, a lot of times what I'll do is say I'm tracking a drummer. We'll do drums. I'll keep notes on a, on a notepad while I'm recording. And then when we get done, I'll throw together a really quick comp, make sure there's no weird, like, you know, two kicks flaming at, at the punch or whatever, just a quick thing. Listen through it with the drummer or whoever I'm doing the take with to make sure they're happy with it. And then I'll move on. Like, oh, hey, I don't like that fill. And then I'll move on. And then at the end of the day, I'll program in enough time to like, okay, and now I will edit your drums um, and make that work. But it, sometimes it depends on the project. Sometimes you're not tracking drums first and um, you can, you know, you got program drums and you can keep working with program drums and you just get around to you editing the drums and you can. Other times it's one of those bands where you're doing it the traditional way, like we're doing drums first and you're like, all right, well, I have to edit the drums so we can keep moving forward. Um, so I don't, I feel with all things music and recording, there's almost like you can't deal in absolutes. There are absolutes, you know, like get your mics in phase, things like that. But um, in trying to be flexible and work with as many artists and as many people as possible, I have my preferred ways of doing things, but then I've always found it's best to just, however, whom you work, whomever you're working with wants to do it. That's the, that's the way to go. Yeah. I guess it also depends on like the amount of time you have to work on that project and all that kind of stuff too. Absolutely. Like I've done things like, Hey, here's a quick drum edit. This is in time. I will smooth it out later. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Sometimes you just need to do that. That's all you've got, you've got the time for. You know, if someone goes out for lunch, maybe you can sneak in a quick edit or something like that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and when it comes to when it comes to editing drums and uh, using things like Beat Detective, do you have any tips at all for people who are editing in that? Um, depending on what you're doing, I do. Um, I my ideal is I go with the kick in and the snare top. Uh, and that's how I grid everything. Like I really locked those tight. Um, I find toms can get really robotic if you just try to hard lock those. So what I'll do is kicks and snares um, and then I'll go through and listen to tom fills. Um, if a kick and a snare are flamming together, that you, you kind of have to, a lot of times you just talk to who you're working with and some people be like, I want you to go with the kick. I want you to go with the snare. Um, but I'll then, after all that's graded, I'll go through and listen to Tom's like, okay, this whole Tom feel started late and then kind of nudge like Tom's. I usually do by ear just, I don't know. There's something really distracting to me when I hear a perfect Tom roll. Um, so you know, that's one of the things I try to keep Phil or even, even hi-hats. Like some drummers, the timing's really bad and you have to go through and like chop the hi-hat and grit it. But for me, for me to try to keep things from sounding robotic, I try to let hi-hats and toms be what they are. Um, unless it's, you know, someone's way ahead on the hi-hat and then the snare is really late and it just feels weird. I'll pull it together. So kick snare, absolute, and then toms and, and hi-hats to taste. Um, gotcha. But obviously moving the whole kick, hold the kit at the same time. Um, and then... Always give yourself, if you're using Beat Detective, use the trigger pad. Like, make sure it's chopping before the transit. It's going to make your life way easier. For sure. Do you have a, a set amount of time that you like to use? I think my usual go-to is about four milliseconds. I actually do mine a little long, but... Yeah. Um, hey, if it it's works been for It's been working for me lately. Yeah, that's all that matters, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting you said about the tom thing, because I, I agree with you. It's like, drummers do tend to rush through their toms, just because it's like the motion of like being quick between all, like all your whole kit. Um, so it's, it is interesting to think about it that way of like, if you lock it in hundred percent, that it can make it sound a little too mechanical. Yeah. And I don't, I don't really like elastic audio for drums. Uh, there's just too many mics to the face. Like if you had a loop, sure. Elastic audio, but, um, if you're doing a full kit, like it just starts getting weird. If you're stretching across, you know, 12 plus mics, I will sometimes use it on Tom fills. If I'm really kind of like needing to make something work because 
usually if there's a big tom fill like that. I know when it's getting mixed, the tom fills is what's going to be kind of really in focus. And you can kind of get away with a little bit as long as the tom sounds good. Um, but yeah, uh, kick snare. And I actually, when I edit drums too, I also bring the, the overheads in the rooms up a bit. Just because, um, I don't know, it really bugs me when I can hear drum edits in the overheads and, and the room mics. So um, hi-hats, or I'm sorry, not hi-hats. Overheads, I try to get as clean as possible. Rooms, you sometimes have to let go a little bit just for the sake of you know keeping yourself sane. For sure. And sometimes the room tracks can actually hide some of those edits a little bit more as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, what about guitars? Do you have any tips for editing guitars fast? Um, I always, even when I have no intention of reamping something, I always have guitars use a DI because um, you're getting something, you know, I work with a lot of heavy bands and it, the waveform, you know, drums, you can kind of tab to a transient or like see where you're going. Guitars, like you get a heavy guitar, like it's just that gnarly waveform. So if I have transients, on, or I'm sorry, if I have a DI track, I can see the transient from where the pick is. And so that's kind of my thing is group, group my guitar track with that DI and then kind of use the DI as the guide. I don't, I don't, um, it's funny because I, I know Lincoln is kind of part of that, those bands that started the really hard editing as far as hard rock goes, because they're using loops and you just need it to be tight. But I think a lot of people will be surprised at how not like I know a lot of heavy music nowadays, people are just like slamming everything on a grid. I think people would be surprised how much we really weren't doing that and how much of it really was by ear. Um, I always try to go in, in big chunks, like, all right, this, you know, listen through this chorus, the guitar with the drums. Does this feel good? What doesn't feel good? Nudge that instead of like, you know, a friend of mine jokingly said it's engineering, not engine eyeing. So, you know, try to not overly look at the DI and just go with what feels good. Yeah, for sure. And I guess, you know, that says a lot about the, the guitarist to begin with. Like, you have to have someone that can actually play tight to that stuff as well, right? Yeah. And and also, I think if you're if you're editing as you go, then it's easier to tell if something is on the grid. Whereas if you record everything and then edit it all later, then you kind of don't really know where that grid really was other than just that, that click track that you were listening to in the in the tracking, right? Yeah, I Whereas mean, it, I'm, I'm a real stickler for good performance on the front end. Like, I, I would... I would rather make you record it over and over and over again versus just edit it. Um, I hate when people are like, oh, it's probably good enough to edit, right? Like, no, come on, man, value my time. Like, I'm not sitting here going like, oh, that's probably that's probably a good enough sound for uh, with some samples and EQing. Like, you know, respect respect my crap. If you're having trouble with something, sure, let's edit it. But like, don't make editing your crutch. Don't make it like, we're going to blast all these guitars in an hour and then I'll just edit it because, yeah, that just, I don't know. I... It feels unnatural. And it just, like, to me, like, I don't, for, for someone who does Pro Tools editing, it's not my favorite thing. Like, it's not, it's not the creative process that I like. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, hey, when you work with a, a good musician, it obviously makes your whole job that much easier, right? So, like, why not just get it done right? And you know, that, that saves, saves everyone trouble down the road, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Those, like, those sessions where it's all professional session music, musicians is just the best. Because <laughs> you're just, you kind of put mics on things, turn it on, push the faders up, and it all sounds good. Like, yeah, if you ever get a chance to work with professional studio musicians, by all means, take it. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Well, I know you're a little tight on time today, so we should start to wrap up. For people who might want to learn more about you and the projects you're working on and, and potentially even work with you, what's the best way for them to follow you online? Uh, I am on Instagram. Uh, it's a little long. It's josh.newell.recordings. But if you just do Josh Newell, you'll probably find me on Instagram. Um uh, I have a website, josh-newell.com, because Josh Newell, all one word, was taken at the time. It hasn't been updated in, 
man, four years. I'll get around to that. But it has, uh, <laughs> it has a, I have a list of things to update it with. I just haven't done the update. But it's got a contact page, so you can email me there. Um, so yeah, either one, social media, or you can do it there. I don't. I don't really have a Facebook pref- or, uh, presence. So those are kind of the two ideal ways to get a hold of me and see what I'm working on. Awesome. And lastly, are there any cool projects that you're working on right now that you might be able to talk about? Um, I have a couple in the pipeline. I've actually been on leave because we just had a kid. So I've not been oh, working. Congrats. Um, thank you. Uh, yeah, this, well, I guess this speaks to kind of me trying to work on different projects. I'm finishing up a contemporary adult Christian record mix, which is kind of a new one for me. Um, what else have I got going? I'm working with a prog band called, I'm not sure what that artist is ultimately going to call this project. Or I tell you what it was. Uh, I've been working with this kind of prog metal band out of Oklahoma called Avitus, uh, mixing their stuff. I might be going to Portugal to work with a band who are currently not sold on their name. They're new. Um, and it's kind of like a spirit box meets code orange thing. Um, so that's cool. cool. I've got another intronaut record coming up soon. And uh, yeah, so it's kind of like things in the pipeline right now as I'm, I'm getting back into working. Amazing, man. Looking forward to checking all of those out when they come out. Thanks. Awesome, man. Well, well, Josh, thank you one more time for being on the podcast. Uh, tons of great advice here. I'm sure a lot of people will love what you've what you had to say here. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. So that was my interview with Josh Newell, and I love the advice that he gave, especially on the topic of what makes a great assistant. And I think that the points that he brought up there really apply whether you are working out of a home studio or if you're working in a big studio. The overall theme of that is just that you want to be prepared, you want to make life easy for the artist, you want to make it an enjoyable experience, and when you do that, you build a much better rapport with your artist And as a result, you'll get much better takes and everyone's going to be in a happier mood. And that allows you to work with these people longer term because they're going to like working with you because they know that they can trust you and that you're on top of your game. So I love what he shared there. And it was also really great to get some insight into what went into the Linkin Park sessions and how they set up their settings so that they could work quickly. And I think that this is a great system for setting up your own studio so that whenever you're feeling creative, you can just jump right in, not have to worry about patching everything all that kind of stuff. Instead, you can get up and running right away, keep your creativity, and not be bogged down by all of those mechanical, technical tasks that can snap you out of your creativity. So it was really cool to hear how those guys work and how Josh was able to help them. So I hope that you enjoyed that episode, and if you did, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast so we are notified about all new episodes as they go live. And if you haven't already yet, make sure to visit MasterYourMix.com. That's where I help musicians with home studios, and I help them create pro-sounding recordings so that they can showcase their talents in the best way possible, grow their career, and on that website, we make mixing easy. We break it down so that it's very straightforward for you, and we've got tons of great resources designed to really simplify that process and make it all make sense so that you're not feeling scattered as you work and you have a lot of focus. And one thing you're definitely going to want to check out while you're there is called The Mixing Mindset. This is a book that I wrote a little while ago. And in this book, we break down the process of mixing step by step so that you know exactly what you should be listening for as you're analyzing your tracks. You'll know exactly what to be doing with EQ, compression, when to use them, where to use them, which frequencies to pay attention to. And the idea is to give you a straightforward process to follow so that you're not feeling overwhelmed. Instead, it's really simple and I make it very clear so that you can keep your focus and make better sounding music in less time. So once again, that book is called The Mixing Mindset and it's available at MasterYourMix.com. So I hope that you enjoyed that episode and that's it for this episode. I'll talk to you in the next one. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Master Your Mix podcast. To have your questions answered, submit your questions to questions at MasterYourMix.com. Please go to iTunes and subscribe and leave a review. 
And for more information on how you can improve your mixes, visit MasterYourMix.com.